Hey, good, good morning, morning Theo. Theo 102. We are so happy to have you with us. Today we want to extend a special greeting to our visitors. If you're here on First Friday, welcome to Theo 102. You are here for what the students said last semester was the, the day that they had the most fun in, which is Friday. We are having a panel discussion about the lecture that we um, all enjoyed earlier in the week. Um, you may notice that Dr. Doak is not here today. Dr. Doak is very sick. And so um, we are standing in for him. He has, have you ever known him ever to miss a class? No, I've, in seven years of knowing him, I've never seen him take a day off. Yes, so be praying for Dr. Doak. Um, and, but no fear, Dr. Campbell and I are with you all and we are happy to be your guides today. Dr. Campbell, you're a pastor as well. Yes. I know not a lot of students know that about you. Um, so when we're talking about the crucifixion, it kind of strikes me, sometimes we don't talk about the crucifixion much in church. Yes. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I mean, I think that there's a few different reasons uh, for that. And I think part of it probably depends on the church tradition that you're a part of or that you grew up in. Um, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. Any like Southern Baptist Church people out there? All right. Yeah, I was like okay. five. I see a few right? hands. We're just not We're in, in sort Oregon. of that area of the country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I mean, I think in my church tradition, like we wanted to focus so much on the resurrection that the crucifixion was just sort of like this thing that we skipped over. Uh, any Lutherans out there? No? Do you know? Maybe, I see like yeah, one hand way, yeah. way in the back. Lutherans actually love the crucifixion. Yeah, they do. Like yeah. their theology is centered on suffering. I think for most people in most churches today, like it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about, to talk about pain and suffering and especially violence. And it brings up questions that we're uncomfortable with, like, well, why did Jesus have to suffer? And why did he have to be crucified? And why was it so gory? And it feels hard to try to answer those questions like from the pulpit or in a sermon. And so we kind of just want to skip over and get to like the fun part at the end, which is the resurrection and this new body and appearing and disappearing and all that kind of fun stuff. That's true. I, I really appreciate that. I think that's, I think you're right about that. It sometimes feels a little bit uncomfortable. In fact, I've, I know from some of the student responses that y'all have felt just like, this is an uncomfortable topic. This is a yeah. hard one. Um, all right, so, but before we get to this panel to talk about um, everything, like, that you want to talk about related to the crucifixion and to suffering and the problem of evil, we keep it light here in Theo 102. Easy um, <laughs> We do have a couple of housekeeping items for you all. Yes. One, did you want to go, or do you want me to go? I don't no. know, what is okay. it? Okay, one is normal schedule next week. We had a weird schedule this week. Just want you to know we are back to normal for one week next week. Another thing that you need to know is there, uh, the ad drop period for all courses is this Sunday. We were told to tell you. So this is me doing that. And yeah, I think that's it. Do you have any announcements for the students? Anything to think about with their reaction papers? No. <laughs> okay, okay. Well then, without further ado, I'm going to introduce you all to our panel this morning. I just pretend that I am Dr. Brian Doak. I'm much taller, and I write about the Hebrew Bible. Okay, so 
this morning we have a really awesome panel. Um, as you know, we will be hearing for doc from Dr. Melissa Ramos, who gave our lecture uh, this earlier this week. We'll be hearing from Dr. Nijay Gupta. Oh, Dr. Melissa Ramos is a Hebrew Bible scholar. Dr. Nijay Gupta, New Testament scholar. And last but not least, we have our pastor of the week, Pastor Gabe Barrero, who is joining us. Uh, yes, give him a hand, give him a hand. And uh, Pastor Gabe is somebody who's very special to me. He's, he's one of my pastors. I really appreciate him. And he just flew in. He just arrived from London. What were you doing in London, Pastor? Yeah, thank you for joining us. And what yeah. time does it feel like to you? It feels like... 10 p.m. maybe for me, so I'm starting to kind of <laughs> actually get tired and sleep, oh, but no, no. I, I, um, I just went from London last night, um, never stopped learning, so I was there actually on a field study and following um, one of the fastest growing church planting movements in the UK, um, wow. which is an Anglican church, and meeting leaders and trainers and uh, the church planters themselves, so it was great. Wow, that's awesome. Well, Pastor Gabe Barrero is pastor to pastors here in um, Oregon and Southwest Washington and Alaska, and he's really into church planting. So if y'all are interested in church planting, this is a guy to talk to. Um, so I'm just advertising that if you want to come and talk to him after, after our panel today, think about it. We have a lot of, of um, future ministers out here in, in the audience. Okay, so I want to start you all with um, a question, and it's kind of a personal one, and then we'll kick it to the students. My question is, when do you remember first thinking about the crucifixion? Like truly thinking about it? Dr. Ramos, do you want to start us off? Well, I, I grew up in the church, but I don't recall as a young person, like a high school, junior high student, really thinking about the crucifixion in any way that made a personal connection to me. Hmm. Or, or maybe some other things too. I wonder why if that, that maybe is maybe contributed to. I had a period of time where I really would say I kind of fell away from the church, late high school, early college years, and then came back to what I would sort of call, I don't know, my um, adult faith. Um, as, as a college student, really as a junior in college. And that, I think, for me maybe was the moment where I started to think about not just the phrase, oh, Jesus died for your sins. I heard that growing up and didn't really make a personal connection with me until I was a college student. So maybe um, around the same age that you guys are, but maybe a couple years, year or two ahead. But I, and as I talked about this a little bit earlier this week in the lecture, I think that after my time and maybe during my time when I was a pastor, I thought about it so differently and thought really about the, the suffering of Jesus in that moment, not just what it meant for me or my salvation or whatever, but maybe entering into what that moment might have felt like for Jesus, you know, being betrayed by all of his friends and, I mean, just the physical pain and when Jesus, you know, cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that feeling of being forsaken or feeling like you're forsaken by God, I, it all felt much more dramatic to me. Mm. So maybe I would say I would have different stages in life when it, when it meant something different. Mm. Thanks. 
about you, Dr. Gupta? So in high school, I became a Christian in high school, and I was um, in a production of Godspell. I was one, one of the unnamed disciples. Uh, but I remember there being a scene where we're doing communion, you know, the, the Last Supper uh, in, in the musical. Uh, this is a public high school, too, which is kind of crazy. But we're doing, the, we're doing that scene, and the way that they approached this, our cast, was it was a really somber. It wasn't a celebration. It was basically Jesus saying goodbye to all of his friends. And, um, you know, the music is playing, and we're in, in silence. He's just going around and giving everybody food and drink, and almost in tears. And the rest of us are just kind of supposed to be like, why is this happening? This makes no sense. This is terrible. And what's interesting about Godspell, the original Godspell, we adapted it a little bit. The original, it ends um, with Jesus' death, and it doesn't narrate the resurrection. It just ends with this song, Long Live God. Mm. It just sings it over again, Long Live God. Like, oh, and you, you just live in that moment. You know, we're so quick to triumph in the resurrection. We're just really quick. You know, death, resurrection, okay, let's go. And the original Godspell production, not written by a Christian at that time, um, he really wanted to just dwell on this great sacrifice. And we felt that as we, I mean, one of the most amazing things you do is to live inside that moment. Mm -hmm. And that, I, that stands out to me from my time in high school. Thank you. How about you, Pastor? Yeah. Um, in a Latino family in Los Angeles, um, we, we kind of had this Catholic background um, that, and the cr Jesus crucified is like everywhere in our house. Like there's like the really cool art, you know, that someone painted mi million years ago that, you know, it's just like he's bleeding and you're like, whoa, as a little kid, I remember thinking like, that's kind of scary. And, and then, you know, you go into another room and there's a crucifix there and it's Jesus bloody and, you know, like it was just all around the house. So like, I just remember it just always being there and it always kind of being in your face like, man, I feel guilty because, I, you know, even at a very young age, it was like, yeah, and he died for you, you know, because you're, you know, such a bad person. And so, like, for me, the cross and Jesus, like, that whole thing was, I just had a lot of shame and guilt. When, and in, in a, lot of, a lot of ways, I just tried to avoid that reality. Mm. Obviously, you know, um, at some point, I really had a greater understanding of it. But for me, it was just all about guilt and shame that this poor man had to die and, and look like that, you know, at least what was portrayed. Um, I, I, do, I do feel like, if anything, in my life right now, the pendulum swung and I've kind of been living in kind of the understanding of what the resurrection means. But it really, in the last couple of years, really coming back to pain and suffering and what, it, what does that really mean um, not only for Jesus, but what is it? What is his implications for me and the church? And it's actually really, really a great time to be looking at that personally for me. Mm, thank you, thank you. All right. Well, I can tell you all are are engaged, and I appreciate that. And we want to invite you into the conversation. So um, we want to invite you if you want to send a question, um, write write a question down and send it. You can send it to either aisle. Um, or like on both sides of the room, or of course you can um, take the mic and ask a question live and in person. So 
Who has a question? Rachel, do you want to give us a questioner? Yes, we have a question right here. Thank you. Hi, uh, my name is Owen Tenbrook, and I had a question about rather something that factored into the crucifixion, uh, uh, Judas, uh, the disciple who betrayed Jesus for 30 uh, silver. Uh, and it, it really differs, though, because I remember that a few go uh, bits of gospel, or maybe even just Jesus Christ Superstar, tried uh, uh, depicts Judas as, like, having honorable but misguided intentions, like uh, giving that money over to the poor so they could feed and clothe themselves. And I'm just wondering, from a theological or spiritual perspective, how should we view Judas? Should we view him as like this evil, uh, irrepentable sinner or just a misguided person who had the right idea but the wrong choices? Wow. Okay, so first, I love this because I'm a huge musical theater geek and two musicals about Jesus have been mentioned here today in the space of like five minutes. So excellent work, everyone. Um, but you ask a really great question, Owen, which is how are we supposed to understand or interpret the person of, of Judas? I'm going to actually ask our New Testament scholar to, to weigh in first. <laughs> yes, Dr. Gupta. Uh, yeah, that's us. a good question. So um, there's, there's two, two frames that we could look at it, and I'll try to give a brief answer. But one frame is, is kind of what the Bible's trying to communicate theologically about Judas um, and his role, and was it inevitable, and how should we reflect on Judas? The fact that Judas was replaced uh, as one of the apostles, that role was replaced according to the book of Acts, really is a way of saying, it's kind of obvious, but is a clear way of saying uh, he, he was anti-God, he was anti-Jesus, and he did truly betray him, and it wasn't sort of an accident or whatever. He did come to regret it, but he, he made a pretty, a pretty serious mistake in that moment. Part of your question was about the historical frame. Um, what led up to this? You know, just looking at something like his name is important. Um, you know, uh, you had um, Judas Maccabeus, who was like a Jewish freedom fighter uh, that was legendary from not that much before uh, the time of Jesus. And he represented the hopes of Israel to throw off the oppression of Rome, uh, of, the, of the enemy or the oppressors. In that case, it wasn't Rome. But, um, and so to, you, you had people like that that could have followed Jesus. They were hoping Jesus would, bec would become a violent freedom fighter. You had multiple people that claimed to be a Messiah-like figure to free Israel from oppression, from Rome or from other powers. And so probably some of people that followed Jesus hoped he would be a militant-style leader to overthrow the power of Rome against them. Maybe, maybe Judas was one of those people and came to betray him because you know, of that. One thing I do want to emphasize uh, as we read the Gospels, is, number one, Jesus chose him, so he was one of Jesus' friends. And number two, Jesus really felt the sting of betrayal. And when we think of Jesus having foreknowledge, he does, we don't know exactly how that works, but it really hurts for Jesus to be betrayed by his friend. It wasn't sort of robotic, I'm God, I know this is going to happen. He does say, do what you have to do, but I think he does it with pain in his heart. 
Um, so I don't know if that answers all your questions, but Judas is a complicated figure, um, and he does come to regret it. But ultimately, what he's seen as doing, and I think you kind of pointed this out, it's every one of us in the sense that um, so many people misunderstood Jesus, so many people turned against Jesus. Judas is not the only betrayer. <laughs> Strike the sheep and the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. Uh, Judas is the worst of them in many ways, but m the disciples in general are portrayed as not being good friends of Jesus. Dr. Ramos, what do you what do you think? I do wonder if Judas sort of becomes the poster boy of the unfaithful in the Gospels, and, and maybe we're sort of too quick to think of Judas as that other person when I, I do think of Judas as there's a little bit of Judas in all of us. There's that little bit. I, this is totally speculative, but I wonder if after the, the death of John the Baptist, if that was kind of a moment when Judas really started questioning or wondering, mm -hmm. you know, who Jesus really was. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? That's kind of one of the lines in the Gospels. And I wonder if, if Judas just sort of lost faith in Jesus after the death of John the Baptist. This is totally speculative. I mean, the, the Bible doesn't say. But I, I do think that as sort of the, the poster boy for, for the unfaithful, I think maybe we were so quick to, to judge Judas instead of seeing that little bit in ourselves. Pastor Gabe, what do you think? Yeah, Judas, um, I mean, for me personally, I mean, there, there's... I really appreciate the, the kind of theological angles on it, but I mean, really just reading the narrative, you know, I, and I've, I've reflected on it just personally, um, and I've really asked in my prayers even, Lord, what is the thing that, that would cause me to be a sellout? Hmm. And just trying to really make it practical. Where, where, what's the, what's the kryptonite in my life that would cause me to deny you to and I think as humans, we're all susceptible, one, of entrusting ourselves to someone and then being betrayed. And I, and I hear those stories in leadership all the time and have experienced it, and yet I could be the person that really backstabs someone and just being aware of that, um, that I can inflict a, a pain upon a person's life um, if, it, it, you know, if I'm not careful, and sometimes I have to be honest and even, and realize it, that I'm complicit even in actually the steps that led to that, you know, mm. and so, so yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think Judas in, in the narrative is, is super, super good for us to remember our humanity and that we're all susceptible, um, um, yeah, of that kind of behavior and action. Mm. Thank you, thank you. All right. I think we're ready for another question. We've got a live question. Hi, uh, my name is Charlie, and hey, Charlie. My, my question for you guys is, it sounds like a lot of you grew up with uh, some sort of a religious figure in your family, like uh, parents, and my question is, if you guys didn't have someone like that in your family, do you guys still think you would have uh, found religion? Whoa, that's a good question. Charlie's from my section. Awesome. Okay, so who wants to start with this one? That's a great question. Yeah, I, I, I'll go. Um, 
That, that is a great question, and, and, and obviously um, I, I do believe because not only it's, it's and I'm, not, I'm not being subjective in this, is that I am meeting a lot of people that have not grown up with religion in their household that um, have encounters with, with the person of Christ. And so, so yes, and, and, and because I, I see that so experientially, um, and even recently in London in a post-Christian context, um, some, some of the testimonies and people that I heard um, were actually agnostics, nihilists, um, you know, I mean, so, and, and yet they encountered Christ through this church planting movement that, that I shadowed. So it, it, for me personally, growing up with, with kind of uh, a monotheistic kind of worldview because of my household, I was still really malformed and, and, and thought wrongly about belief in God. And, and so in some ways, some of my seeking and yearning I, I, mysteriously for me was kind of the work of God in my life. Um, and, and so to, to answer your question, I'll conclude with this. If it's almost like it's, it's, it goes both ways. It's like I think God was reaching out to me, and at the same time, I think I was reaching out to him. But even that reaching out to him was kind of the work of his spirit in my life. And so I don't think that you need to have a, a religious background to, to be able to encounter God. I think there's human longing and questioning that can come from a completely different construct. And then there's a God that is like relentlessly pursuing humanity. So I might have mentioned this before in, in a panel or lecture, but I actually grew up um, in a Hindu household. My parents are still Hindu. Um, I have two brothers. One, my oldest brother is Hindu-ish. And the middle brother, uh, he's a Christian uh, as well as me. We both became Christians around the same time. Um, and I remember my dad saying to me when I became a Christian, that I'm a Christian because I'm an American and he's a Hindu because he grew up in India. And that's probably partly true because the town I grew up in is, is very Christianized. Um, but I guess I would want to say, and, and I think I've said this a couple of times uh, in this course, but even though the gospel is for everybody, I think it immediately reaches out to people who know their need. Uh, who understand their weakness and who understand uh, that they, they, can't, they can't make it on their own. People say, oh, Christianity is a crutch. Yeah, it's a really great crutch because <laughs> we have really, really weak knees. Um, so for me, I, the time I found Christ, I was going through some depression. I was not fitting in in my school very well. Um, I was not getting along with my family very well, and God found me. And he gave me a message of full acceptance and uh, gave me somebody that could understand me fully. So I, I can't answer the question in my, personally whether it would happen a different way in a different scenario. Uh, what I can say is I'm so thankful for the people that shared Jesus with me. Because there were so many people I found out later that were Christians that never shared Jesus with me. And I, w I was ready. I, I needed it. And so this was, has always been a challenge to me. Don't assume uh, the other person knows the gospel. Don't assume the other person doesn't want to hear the gospel because there are people like me out there who, who need to hear 
the message about Jesus' uh, death and life for us. Mm. Dr. Ramos, anything to add? I mean, I just don't know, right? How it would have been different. I, I know that both my mom and my dad, in their own faith, played a huge role in me thinking that faith was important. Even when I stepped away from it, it felt intentional. Um, or it felt like I just didn't know. It still felt like it was something that mattered. So yeah, maybe I just don't know what would have happened. I mean, I would like to think, and, and I th would say that my own experience was that God came searching for me in a time when, well, like Dr. Gupta just said, a time that was really hard in life for me, and that was a time when I came back to faith in my own sort of personal articulation of a faith that belonged to me and not just the faith that belonged to my parents, and that that was a bit of a wrestle to figure out what that was, and maybe it didn't look exactly the same, but it certainly was strongly influenced. Hmm. So maybe we just don't know, but I would like to think that that God has a call on our life, and that one way or another, he'll get you there. Mm. Thank you. All right, Rachel, what do we have next? All right, so this is a really good written question. Um, earlier when we were talking about Judas, you guys were implying that he made a really serious mistake. Um, and so the question is, are there categories of sins that are worse than others? Oh, <laughs> good question. <laughs> Okay, who will I call on first? Pastor, yeah, I think, I think, Pastor Gabe, what do you think? Everyone's going to weigh in on it, just yeah. to let you know. Well, I think that there's, there's kind of looking at it from this point, like I think there's certain choices that you and I make that, that is the right choice and it has tremendous amount of potential of elevating us and opening doors and you know and, and we would look at it and say that's that's a good choice man that was there's a b and c you made c and that really had that really had a lot of potential in terms of good things happen in your life and i think there's decisions we make that are wrong that have tremendous amount of consequences um and and and, and although sin is sin and and, and sin has consequences there, there obviously are um, decisions we make. Like, like I think, I think about like the the decision. If, if I made a decision to to have to be unfaithful in my marriage, that has tremendous amount of consequences, not only in relationship with God, but with my wife, but then my my sons, and at what age they are in their life, and the kind of betrayal that that. That, that and, and impact it has on them. And then there's maybe another kind of decision I would make where it just has real personal consequences. It, it, at least it appears to. And so I, so in terms of categories, I, I think about, I, I just kind of want to leave it at that and then let them talk about, you know, other ways of looking at it. But there certainly seems to be, um, you know, that there are some, there are some decisions we make that are serious or grave um, in some circumstances, and and so therefore, th there's kind of that what seems to be hierarchical um, or intensity to the decisions we make that are, you know, don't ever do that. All of them would be don't ever, you know, sin, but a definitely, you know, high consequence. Yeah. So yeah, Pastor Burrell, you know, said it well in the sense that. It depends on why you're asking the question in terms of 
you know, what makes someone a sinner, uh, you know, the Bible talks about us being corrupted. So one common terminology used is total depravity. Total depravity is a doctrine that doesn't mean we're as bad as we could possibly be. That's just not true. You guys do wonderful things all the time. Total depravity means uh, every part of our being is infected or touched by sin. And um, so in that sense, we're sinners. One thing I do want to say, and I think it was implicit in what you said, is there's no sin that God can't forgive. And that's important because some of us in this room have made huge mistakes for which we feel very guilty about. Uh, other people in the room, you might feel like, I'm actually a pretty good person and I do nice things. Uh, I do want to say to all of you, um, if you've done some things that you feel really guilty or bad about, there's no unforgivable sin. Uh, and that doesn't, you know, that, that, what that reflects is a very forgiving God. A uh, very forgiving God that wants you to come to him. So I want to affirm that. But in terms of are there sins worse than others, in, 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 in human impact and worldly impact, absolutely. Right? If you say this person stole bread from a, you know, a, a grocery and this person killed you know, 10 trillion people, you know, we all look at that and say, okay, these things have real consequences. Um, but, but one thing that sticks in my mind is Jesus talking about the quote-unquote sinful woman. It's a terrible t title from the Bible, but there's this woman who made all these mistakes in her life, and she comes to Jesus, and she wipes uh, you know, his feet with her tears, and, and she just expresses her love. And it always sticks out in my mind that Jesus says, and I might not get the words right, but he says, she loves me more than any of you because, because of the amount of forgiveness I've given to her because of all the things that she has done. And so the one who's forgiven much loves much. Uh, and, and in a sense there, the, the, the dirtiest sinners, in, in a sense, are given the most grace and the most love. And I think there's something really beautiful in that. We don't sin more because of that, but, but we know that we're not loved less because we, sin, we have sinned more. Reverend Dr. Ramos, do you have any, any thoughts on that? You, you've been a pastor too. Those were such great answers. I don't feel like I have anything special to add. <laughs> All right. All right. Rachel, what's next? Okay, so we have had several written questions about this same general topic. Okay, great. Um, the idea that the crucifixion is a really hard topic to talk about, um, but does that mean that we should stop talking about it, or is there, like, an overall truth that we can gain from this really horrible and tragic event? Ooh, okay. Reverend Dr. Ramos, you want to start that one? Well, all of you who heard the lecture know that I have a hard time talking about it, too. Because <laughs> um, I, I talked about that extensively in my lecture. I have a hard time thinking about it, entering into the imaginative space. But that didn't stop me from talking about it with this big room full of people. So, you know, we can just do it. I, I certainly think that there is value, spiritual growth value, in whatever way we can enter into that space and to, to linger there a little bit. Um, because I, I think it was, as, as Dr. Gupta mentioned, we are so quick in the church to jump from the crucifixion to the resurrection. It, because it is uncomfortable, and it is hard to envision it, and it is difficult to remain in that space. But there is spiritual value in considering the crucifixion. 
Pastor Barrero and or Drs. Ramos and Gupta, I want to piggyback off of that with a question. What's the, the most um, meaningful depiction of the crucifixion you have experienced in a, in a church setting? I'll give you a second to think about it. Depiction meaning art or of any kind? Any kind. I think for me, um, the, this idea of pain and suffering that Jesus experienced, um, and, and you know, we can look at the historicity of that and, and what that meant in his context, what actually a crucifixion entailed, pretty brutal way of dying for sure. Um, for me, when I, when I think about what Jesus endured, it leads me to, in my everyday life, um, upon reflection of him, to reflect on other people's pain and suffering as well. In other words, if I can, if I can really go there and do my best to perceive what Jesus went through, I think there's a lot of potential for people like you and I to affect change in the world, because if we're willing to enter into people's lives and their pain and suffering, not, you know what it's like to be a, a good friend and to actually be there for someone in the midst of the difficulties they go through because you, you appreciate how much someone is there for you. And so I think real change in the world happens when we're willing to journey with someone in their pain and suffering to see points of pain and suffering in the world because here's what I found comes out of that. I believe what comes out is compassion or passion. And, and passion always needs to be there when change is going to happen in the world. In other words, it's got to mean something to you. You look at suffering in the world and you say, I smell it, I feel it, I see the effects it has on someone's life, and now I'm compelled not only to walk with them through their pain, but now I'm going to do something about bringing change. And so, and then to trying to discover what your contribution is. So I think for me and for the church and for Christians and for people in general, the journey, the, the, the courage and the willingness and the patience and, and the struggle that comes with walking with someone through their pain has, it's pregnant with potential of real change in the world because that's the spark sometimes where we're saying, I, I, there's, I can't handle this, enough is enough, we've got to do something about the condition that people go through. And then now you're ready and poised to really find a solution. Wow, I really appreciate that because I don't know about you all and you all in this room, but one of the things that is, is like a particular struggle of our age is that we are bombarded with information about like terrible things happening in the world. And sometimes it's hard to know how to sort through that. And, and I appreciate you talking about the crucifixion. It, it, it's a way, I think, of, of figuring out like what do we do with all of this stuff that we're receiving. Yeah. Either of you two want to weigh in on that? I spent a couple of weeks in Italy over the summer because I gave a, a paper at a conference in Rome. And I went into um, a lot of museums with a lot of artwork from the early church and from the Roman Catholic Church, which depicts with regularity the crucifixion and aspects of, of Jesus' death. But maybe two sort of, two things I noticed in depictions that stood out to me that I found meaningful and, and actually 
seemed like ways for me to enter in, even though I, I have a hard time <laughs> without sort of feeling traumatized by the whole thing. Um, one is the depiction of Jesus forgiving people on the cross. And for me, it's sort of a window into the character of God and, and, and a window into allowing yourself to receive forgiveness. A and the other way is, is the reality of the humanity of Jesus. And to think that whatever kind of suffering you experience, no matter how bad it is, that Jesus knows, like really knows, that God really knows what that's like. Hmm. So I have kids who are 8, 10, and 13, and um, they love Communion Sunday when you take the, the bread and the cup because um, they love eating bread and drinking the juice. And sometimes I'll buy grape juice, um, you know, at the grocery store, and they get really excited because they just, whenever they have the juice at church, they always want more. And after the service, like, can I eat the rest of the bread? I'm like, no, that's not appropriate. <laughs> so um, we, 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 have this, we have this association with communion, with bread being relatively sweet, and with juice being, you know, if you go to a church with grape juice, it's sweet. But you have to think in the ancient world, bread was usually somewhat bitter, uh, or, or plain, and uh, you know, it would have been wine. I don't want to scandalize you, but it would have been wine. <laughs> and the wine is naturally, you know, not that you ever had wine, but it's naturally kind of dry tasting and a little sour or bitter. And so when you're taking the elements, it's not the sweet, delicious, desserty, you know, Panera kind of thing. Uh, it's meant to be a moment of a little bit of bitterness and a little bit of sourness. And I, I tell you about this because I remember reading uh, something about Martin Luther where he talked about reading the Gospels in two modes at the same time. He said, first read it in the mode of gift. The Gospels share a gift of Jesus' self-sacrifice. But then Luther said, the Gospels also share a call to imitation. And so you read, the, you read the story of the, of the passion, of the suffering death of Jesus, you think, thank you, Jesus, for doing something for me. But then Luther says, you read again. And if you remember, uh, we talked about Bonhoeffer in the past. Bonhoeffer's Lutheran. He loved Luther. He has this famous statement, when Jesus calls someone, he bids, come and die. And when I read this about Luther and his view of the Gospels, it transformed how I looked at communion. I used to look at communion as, thank you, Jesus, I love you, your body, body broken for you, life given for you, blood given for you. Wonderful, thank you. But after I learned this about the Gospels, that you should read it in those two modes, it was more challenging to me when I take the elements. Not only am I instilled with awe at what God has done, I'm also instilled with some sobriety, ironically, sobriety <laughs> at the thought that I'm being called into this as well. I don't stand at a distance and look at Jesus being crucified. I'm actually invited into this and called to give my life for others, maybe not physically in death, but to give my life for others in the sense of Jesus giving all of himself to us, doing some of the hardest things. And so one of the biggest changes that's happened for me in, is, is looking at communion differently, not only as gift, but also as summons. Mm, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Zika. All right, Rachel, who do All we right. have? We have a live question. Yay! Um, hi, my name is Claire. Hi, Claire. 
Um, so coming back to Judas, um, I had a question. In um, one of the Gospels, it says that before Judas betrays Jesus, Satan actually enters into him, um, kind of giving, I think, this idea of him being, like, possessed by Satan. Um, and then we know that later he commits suicide. Um, so I kind of have a threefold question. Uh, first being, do you think that Judas can be held responsible for his actions? Uh, second, do you think that there was any chance of redemption for him? And third, do you think that for, uh, Satan forced him to commit suicide? Whoa. Okay. Okay, wait. First, I want to hear those, those, first, those three questions again. First, um, first being that, do you think Judas can be held responsible for his actions? Okay. Uh, second, do you think there was any chance of redemption for him? And third, do you think that Satan forced him to commit suicide? Okay, I'm going to go, let's start with Dr. Ramos, Pastor Gabriero, and then Dr. Gupta. Dr. Ramos, you want to take question number one? Maybe another way of asking this is, is Judas in heaven? Right? I think that's a fair question to ask. So, to kind of, I'm going to lump, there are three parts of the question, I'm going to lump a couple of them together. So, do we really have sort of free will in this kind of situation where Satan entered someone? Is that just an expression for someone making a bad decision? It's kind of hard to say. Is this a real thing? Yeah, maybe, probably. Um, did Judas actually have a choice? Uh, we can also think about this in the Old Testament story of the Exodus, where the text tells us that God hardened Pharaoh's heart mm -hmm. and that the plagues took place because Pharaoh's heart was hardened. But, but it's interesting that, and I bring that text up because I think it is a bit more clear that there are multiple passages that say that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And then there are passages where it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So the Bible seems to have these two ideas in tension, like a dialectic where we have free will, and yet there is the sovereignty of God. And, and I would at least like to put whatever power Satan might have, I would put that under the rubric of God's power in the same way. That's very radically monotheistic, I know, but, but that's what I would do with that. And so, did Judas make a choice? I think so. Yes. Can Judas be held responsible? Yes, I think so. But is he in heaven? I really hope so. Mm. Pastor Gabe. Yeah, I think, I, I'll just come at it from, from this standpoint. I think, um, I think that we know experientially that we have in our own life opened doors to, to things we wish we would have never opened, exposure to things. Um, and people I, I talk with and, and help and, and pastor, um, they 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 can articulate very clearly. I, I know when when I made that decision and and what it what it began to kind of produce in my life. So I, I don't I don't know like specifically what is all implied with you know G, you know Satan and or Judas and how that's actually um, interpreted in, in in the text of the scripture. How but I can look at that and the way that I read it is there, there was probably there was probably a a door that was open for him to begin to to move into the kind of behavior that can be characterized in that way. He's he's making decisions that seem demonic or anti the purposes of Christ, um, to apparently to the point of no return. 
um, where, where it really began to, to produce something in his life unto his own death of, of committing suicide. Um, radical brokenness, um, radical um, degree of, of messed up thinking um, ultimately that led to his death. And I think that in life, <clears throat> in life we, we do make, we open doors that have the potential of leading us to that self-destructive self place, not only for ourselves, but in this case, contributing to what this kind of, this, this cosmic view that God has of the world where, where it, it, it became a part of God knowing that, that the suffering of his son would be, um, would, would be in some way initiated at the hands of men. So Dr. Gupta, we have about a minute left. Will you, will you reflect on the crucifixion and forgiveness in a minute? <laughs> well, I'll leave you with a thought. And the thought is, you know, we often say in the Christian tradition, Jesus died for you uh, or Jesus died for your sins. And one thing I often emphasize in my students is um, it, do, it, it, it doesn't just matter that Jesus died. It mattered how he died. Um, his death on a, he, he, if it was all just about dying, why didn't he die in war or in his sleep? Why did he die on a cross? Um, he could have died many different ways if all that was needed was death to create atonement, the, the satisfaction for sin. But it mattered, according to the Gospels and according to the Christian tradition, that he died on a cross and that he suffered. Um, and that, that's something I want you to ponder. What, what difference does that make? And I guess my last thought is, uh, because of Martin Luther King Jr. Day celebrating that, listen this week, this weekend, to U2's song, Pride in the Name of Love, because I think that's where you find part of the answer. All right. Well